Shea Underwood isn't a professional pickleball player yet, but he's well on his way to achieving his goal after being a football kicker at Georgia Tech University. We really cover a lot of ground in this interview, but I think Shea has a really good perspective on developing a system to play pickleball when competing at the highest levels in the sport. This is really one of my favorite interviews as we talk about Shay's journey to becoming a professional pickleball player. So to hear from Shay, let's get to the intro. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Shay Underwood. How are you doing today, Shay? Oh, uh, hey, Lynn. I'm doing great. It's a lovely day here in Georgia. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm really excited to have you on. I just ran across, I think, your YouTube channel, and I think you've got an interesting path that you're taking in pickleball. So mm-hmm. I normally do like to start off with somebody's origin story, and then we can kind of go through the journey from there. But how did you get started playing and how long ago was it? Yeah, you know, I love starting with that question because I think like the origin story is one of the most beautiful parts of this game or of this game that we all enjoy. In order to be a solid pickleball player, it's not really necessary for you to have trained pickleball your entire childhood like it might be for other sports like football or basketball, baseball or soccer. You know, a lot of the skills you learn in those sports are very transferable to pickleball. And because of that transferability, you know, you're left with this large group of people with very diverse athletic backgrounds that have all fell in love with the sport of pickleball. And I think my origin is really no exception to this. From ninth grade to the time I was a junior in college, my athletic life was devoted to playing football. Uh, So football was the sport that I fell in love with initially. All of the camps and the training and the drilling Uh, And the workouts eventually led me to being a part of the football team at Georgia Tech here in Atlanta, Georgia. And when I got here, I was backing up the kicker, Harrison Butker, who now has a Super Bowl ring with the Chiefs. And so naturally, I began began to uh, become a little bit more of a punter. And then they brought in Presley Harvin, who was just drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers and won the most prestigious award for being a punter in college uh, football last year, which is the Ray Guy Award. So around the end of 2019, I realized that this thing I worked for for the past six years of my life was kind of coming to a close and I needed something to fill that void. So it just so happened that I'm from Hawassi, Georgia, which is the home to what I call a, a pickleball unicorn. And that unicorn is 14 dedicated pickleball courts right by a gorgeous lake with mountains all around it. It's absolutely beautiful. And the local dentist in our town, his name is Dr. Moss. He invited me out to play. And Lynn, I'm, I'm sure you felt this yourself, but there's something like indescribably satisfying to the noise and the feel of hitting a pickleball. So it just kind of like hooks you from the very start. And pretty soon you realize that there are levels to this amazing game uh, and patterns start to emerge and your actions have the ability to dictate what your opponent does and what your partner does. And so seeing myself progress through this like chess game of sorts kept me coming back. Uh, and I'm still actively playing today. So I just played this past weekend at the Atlanta Open and spent the last two days attending one of Tyson McGuffin's signature pickleball camps. So that's a little bit about my origin. All right. Well, there's lots of good stuff there and a lot of questions that I want to ask just from what you talked about. Tell me about Dr. Moss and him inviting you out to play. I mean, was there a reason why he thought you might like the game or how did that all happen? Yeah. So he had a son whose name was Major and we had played soccer growing up. 
we'd always been very competitive with each other and pushed each other in different sports. I played football as well. And Dr. Moss and I would play racquetball occasionally. I played a couple of times with him and he would play me left hand and just absolutely mop the floor with me. So I guess he thought he might have a leg up on me in this sport. And we went out to play and sure enough, he just destroyed me. But I really fell in love with it at that point. I was like, I got to beat this guy. I got to beat this guy. And so that kind of started me down this this progression of getting better at this game and watching YouTube videos and learning more about the inner strategy of it. Yeah. So, so probably he just, you know, thought it'd be cool to beat a collegiate athlete at a game that he hasn't quite learned yet. Well, all right. So you talked earlier in your origin story about the transferability of other athletic skills and, you know, I'm not sure how much you played racquetball, but, you know, talk about what you got from racquetball and of course, football, that you actually do use in pickleball? Yeah, so I honestly only played racquetball probably four times in my life. So my experience there was pretty minimal. I think a more, a more, a better choice of sport and transferability would be ping pong. So I did spend a lot of time. I had a ping pong table in my house and played my dad very competitively, still very like recreational just for us uh, in comparison to everyone else. But, you know, a lot of the hand eye from that really helped me with football specifically. I think one thing that a lot of people are missing in their pickleball game that really helped me in football is the communication. There's a lot of instances where it's really beneficial for you to communicate with your partner and in pickleball, it's not always the easiest thing to do. So one example is maybe when I'm hitting a third shot drop or drive, I can communicate to my partner, you know, soft or hard or drive or drop. And that just tells them what they should be doing with their approach on, on the fifth shot and I think that's a really, really big one for sure. And then also just general footwork. I played a little bit of soccer as well. And with football, I was a punter. And so there's operation times. You have to get the ball off uh, from the time you catch it to the time you, you kick it in like 0.7 seconds or one second or 1.2 seconds. And so to do that, you have to have this perfect footwork. And that really relates to if you hit a shot like an Ernie, you know, it's this very specific like footwork and this kind of dance and ballet of, of sport and experience here. And, and all those skills kind of came together and I can now see them being applied in my pickleball game. You know, I, I really like what you had to say about communication in in relationship to the third shot. A lot of times when I play, you know, I'm, I'm working on my third shot drop. I'm not going to typically drive the ball as much, but I was playing with a, a doubles partner just in some open play, drop and play. And we were not at all familiar with each other. And so he just, he, as soon as he saw that I was going to hit the third shot, he, he didn't look to see what I was doing. He would actually just immediately, you know, run up to the kitchen line. And there was a number of times where I almost hit him when I first started playing with him because I was going cross court, you know, I was going, right. going in that particular direction. And, you know, what you had to say there makes a lot of sense in terms of the communication, because you know, that was somebody who probably had like a real tennis background or some something that I think I was playing with. And so he was, you know, he wasn't prepared for a slower shot as opposed to a drive. So, yeah, I mean, great advice there. That's a perfect example. Yeah, great. Well, all right. So, yeah, you know, the other thing you mentioned was about footwork and Ernie. I know there's a lot of different people of all skill levels who listen to this podcast. Can you go ahead and describe what an Ernie is? Because that may not be a familiar term for everybody. 
Yeah, so I, I guess one thing is when we first start playing pickleball, we are always kind of afraid of the kitchen. And, you know, you always hear, don't go in the kitchen, stay out of the kitchen, keep your feet out of the kitchen. You can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen as a, as a common phrase. And so the Ernie is whenever you you kind of explore the boundaries of what's possible around this kitchen. So an Ernie is an example of um, you actually step over the kitchen, across the kitchen and off to the sideline, almost like you're going to go around the net. And you take a ball that's very slowly hit on one side of the net. Perhaps it's a third shot drop from your opponent that's just kind of creeping over the net, but it's very lofty and you see it with a lot of time. You can, you can take a step outside of the court around the kitchen and give yourself pretty much an overhead from a location that you would normally be hitting up on the ball. And it's something that requires a lot of, a lot of footwork. It requires a little bit of athleticism to make that play, but also just a lot of experience to know what kind of shot yields itself to being able to be earned and also making sure that you're not putting your opponent in a precarious position by, by just running off the court and leaving them in a two view. Right. Yeah. That absolutely makes sense. And I'm going to kind of circle back to your journey because it was really interesting as we, we talked, you, you've already mentioned just a number of instructional aspects of the game, but tell me a little bit about when you started playing pickleball and you probably first got into tournaments. I mean, what level were you playing? Cause really your story is about being a journey to becoming a professional player. So tell me kind of once you started playing, you know, with tournaments and whatnot, what level you started and then kind of if you want to progress and, and move forward in terms of, you know, where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I've played at this point, I would I would estimate around 12 tournaments. Most recently this past weekend, I was playing at the 4.5 level in the in the Atlanta Open and was doing pretty well. But when I first started playing, I, I was probably more like a 3.0, a 3.5. And my first tournament actually wasn't the 4.0 level. I was playing with my mixed partner, a, a woman named Lily Hooper, who has just been an incredible influence or had an incredible influence on my pickleball career so far. And we were playing 4.0 mixed, 19 plus, and, and having a lot of success there. And we were playing at Opelika, uh, Alabama. There's a gorgeous facility there. They had a tournament there called Paddles at the Plex. 4.0 mixed and we got I believe bronze my, my first tournament there so yeah 4.0 and then you know one thing I think that really helped me is that I didn't I never entered into a tournament until I felt that I had a, a a solid understanding of the game athleticism could only get me so far you know if if you are if you have any sort of athletic background at a higher level, maybe collegiate level, or even some people now, a lot of professional sports from other, or a lot of professional players from other sports are coming into this game. They're starting out at the 3.5 or 4.0 just because of their background. But when you really start to dig into it, there's this whole inner game of, you know, why do I hit a cross court dink? Why do I hit a third shot drop to my opponent's backhand? And that's the kind of thing that really takes you from that 4.0, 4.5 to the 5.0 level. I was talking to Kyle McKenzie, a professional player, also runs a podcast with Tyson McGuff. And I was talking to him about that this weekend. And he was telling me that, I mean, pretty pretty much the only thing that's holding you back from becoming a 5.0 is some consistency. You need to drill more. You need to understand and have better shot selection. But really, it's you just need to develop a system to give yourself a better chance to make points like really understand why you hit cross court dinks and why you hit, you know, drops to your opponent's backhand or their forehand. 
And yeah, I think I think that's a really great advice and something we should all be looking to do in our own. You know, I had Kyle McKenzie on the podcast probably a couple of months ago now, and we took a really deep dive into dinking. I mean, he he's he's amazing with his knowledge base. But you know, as I talk to professionals in pickleball, the the biggest thing I hear is you need to be more consistent, which is basically what I think what you said. What Kyle was the first thing that he said. I haven't actually had a lot of people say, you know, you need to have a system of, you know, why you're hitting these shots in, in these situations. I mean, was that was that something that you had thought about before, but just hadn't had enough time to spend on it? Or, you know, is that something that a light bulb kind of went off in your head and with Kyle and the discussion? Yeah. So Lynn, I'll tell you, that's something that actually really just occurred to me this weekend at, at one of the Tyson's camps. I was talking to John Sperling. He is a, a senior professional and does very, very well. And part of his camp is to have a video review. So I record myself doing about eight different types of shots and we're looking at my form and I got down and I sat down with John over dinner to discuss my video. And he asked me, Shay, why do you hit cross court dinks? And it just stumped me. I mean, I, that's the right shot, right? That's that's I hit that shot because it's an angle. It, I don't know if that's just the right shot to hit in that situation. But no, no, the reason you hit a cross-court dink or, or John's rationale for hitting a cross-court dink is because I want to give myself the middle. So whenever I hit a cross-court dink now, I'm thinking about I'm trying to isolate one of my opponents and make it a 2v1 situation where that opponent now has to choose, is he going to hit it back to me across court and risk popping it up over the middle? Is he going to hit it back or is she going to hit it back to my partner who's now cramming the line and has a chance to Ernie or they're, they're just going to freak out and lob the ball or, you know, it's just, you're putting yourself in these situations uh, to get points and you start to notice common tendencies from your opponents. Whenever I off the bounce speed up at their right armpit, they tend to pop it up and I can clean up the next shot. Or maybe I drop it to this person's backhand and they always go cross court with it, which then allows me to go back cross court, which then allows that middle shot to open up again. And it's this kind of next level pattern thinking and visualizing and seeing, you know, what is your golden ticket? What's going to allow you to chip away at your opponents and eventually end up on that podium that I had never thought about. And, you know, now that I'm looking at it and I'm reviewing my games, I'm seeing, wow, like this shot, you know, I, I was hitting it to their backhand and it was getting me points. And then I shifted it and I started losing. And I never realized that until looking at it a couple of days later. So I'm hoping to be more actively looking at those types of situations in my game going forward and identifying that a little bit earlier in the game, rather than two days later in the shower. You know, I, I love that idea. Cause as you said, I mean, that's one of the things that as you move up, you have to be able to do is you have to be able to understand your opponent's weaknesses. Now, is that something that you do naturally that you can kind of remember, you know, and, and see that during a game? Or is it, you know, really something that you have to think about and, and kind of learn over time? Yeah, so that was another conversation point that we had this weekend. And, and it kind of comes down to how often do you play these opponents? So in rec play, you're probably playing with the same people quite often. And so you always know, like maybe, maybe Bob doesn't like his forehand or, or Jill doesn't like to, to be attacked on her left side. And you can remember those sorts of things. But then whenever you get into tournament play, a lot of times you're playing teams that you've never played before. And in those moments is when you could use the warm up to maybe look at what your opponents are doing. But a lot of times they really don't give you that much information. And so that's when it's really important to have a system and know where you're getting your points. 
So then it comes down to, okay, whenever we get into this game, I'm going to attempt to dink to this person's backhand and just see what they do. Okay, maybe they hit a decent shot back to me, but do they look uncomfortable? And, and from that point there is when you and your partner need to discuss very early on what's working, what's not working, and have a couple of maybe A, B, and C systems that you can use and roll through in the early points of a game and figure out which one's working for you and just grind out one of those. I love it. I love it. You know, this has actually been some of the best pickleball advice, you know, despite I've probably interviewed, you know, 60 people on the podcast, but it, th- this conversation reminds me a little bit of the one I had with Kyle McKenzie, where we just took a totally deep dive and, you know, you're, you're somebody who's playing at the 4.5 level. Tell me when, when are you going to be playing five O's or have you, or have you tried it out? What do you think of it? Yeah. So I actually, I, my, my goal right now is I have withdrew myself from all these tournaments. I had, I think five tournaments lined up for this summer. And I realized that I'm just not going to get any better playing tournaments. If you think about high school, when you're playing a sport, how many days a week do you practice? You practice probably, you know, if you're playing football, if you're practicing four days a week, you're doing film review on Sundays and you're thinking about it on Saturday, you play the game on Friday. When we go and play pickleball, we're playing five days a week and that's it. That's all we do. And so I've committed to myself over the next few months. I am withdrawing myself completely from all tournaments, all recreational play during the week. I'm only going to play recreational on the weekends and throughout the week, it's grind season. I am just going to devote my my entire free time that I would be spending pickleball games just to drilling by myself or with people that want to join me on this journey. And I'm not coming back until I'm playing 5-0. So I think this weekend, seeing the the pros in person at the Atlanta Open and then having this camp and having this personal interaction with the pros really let me know that like, I need to work on I have the ability and people around me have the ability to become a 5-0. The difference is who's going to put in the time and the effort to actually achieve that versus it being a dream of the future. And one thing my roommate and I, my roommate's training, so we always talk about leaving no doubt. And that's something that we thought we may have could have done better playing football is just leaving no doubt and and under and giving ourselves the best possible opportunity we could have had to get to the NFL. And now I see that I have a second chance here with pickleball and I'm going to leave no doubt. So here we are. I love it. I, I do. And so why is it that you want to be a pickleball pro? Yeah. So I think the thing that draws me to pickleball is the inclusiveness of it. My mother has a great saying that she's told me since since I was born, really, that it's all about who you know. And it's came up in time and time again in my life, uh, all these different connections I've made and opportunities I've had just because I've known somebody. And I can't tell you a more inclusive sport and a better way to know people than pickleball. Back home in Hawassee, I've played pickleball games against a 90-year-old and a nine-year-old on the same court at the same time, having a very competitive game. And there's just no other sport like that. There's no other way that you can have that sort of close interaction with other people and be smiling and laughing all while playing a very serious and competitive game. I've met just the most incredible people over the past few months of of playing pickleball. And one thing I've noticed is that the better I get at pickleball and the more knowledge that I have to offer other people, the more they want to consistently be around me. And so now we start to get into the place where all these people that have had really high, high end jobs or 
Um, maybe they were playing in the NFL in the past, you know, those sorts of people are now pursuing pickleball and they're like, Oh crap, this 23 year old is better at pickleball than I am. And he knows his stuff. I want to train with him. And that yields itself to having dinner with these people and meeting these people. So I just think it's a great way to network and, and connect with people. And I'm just, that's kind of what I'm all about. It's all about who, you know, and I'm happy to know you and happy to know all these people around me. So I think pickleball is a great avenue for that. Yes, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, the people in pickleball are just amazing. So do you have any timeline as to, you know, how how long you think you're going to be kind of in this in this drill mode? I mean, is it going to be a month, three months, six months? What do you think? Yeah, so I have I have a list of 15 different shots. I don't have it with me on, on me right now, but 15 different shots. And I've evaluated myself and seen what level do I think I'm at on all these different shots. And I'm trying to get to an A plus on all these shots. And so I, I, I'm just going to grind on those specific things. Like one of them, for example, is overheads. I have had no tennis background. So my overheads are garbage. I can hit them pretty consistently now, but it's taking a long time to get here. And I know they can be a lot better. And so once I get through that list and have all of those to what I think is an A plus level, then I think that would be a good time to start getting back into tournaments. Another problem with that is I need to find partners that, are kind of on the same wavelength as me. And I do have a lot of options around the area, people that want to drill with me, but it's tough to find someone that consistently wants to put in the time that I do. Either all those people are already better than me and locked in, or they they just don't have the same kind of free time that I do at, at this point in my life or in their life. So I would, I'm saying I, I give myself six months or so, six months, probably one of my goals. So every year um, on my birthday, I sit down and write a list of goals for myself Typically people do this as like New Year's resolutions, but I, I feel like it has a lot better impact on your life if you do it on your birthday. It gives it some significance. And so on February 6, 2021, I sat down and, and made a goal that by my 24th birthday, I will become a 5.0 pickleball player, like certified. And we are, what are we now? Nine months away from that. So that's that's kind of like the deadline. February 6, 2022. Lynn, if we talk again, I better be a 5.0 or I've done something wrong. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna check back with you in about nine months or so. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, please, please. Now, because I can just tell from this conversation, you are going to, you know, achieve your goal. Certainly, does does that mean you're going to be also planning to do pickleball full time? Because I know right now you went to college, you probably have a full time job. So, yeah. what are your plans? Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm very flexible when it comes to that. I, I like what I'm doing now. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. I work for Kimberly Clark. I'm a, a functional engineer in their global supply chain. I graduated from Georgia Tech with an industrial engineering degree. And I, I love my work. I love my coworkers. I love what I'm doing there. And I don't think that that has to be separate from pickleball at this point in my life. I think monetarily, financially, pickleball doesn't yield itself to, to the most lavish lifestyle at this point. It's I don't want to say I, the pros aren't making a ton of money unless it's through sponsorships. The guys at the top, Ben Johns, Tyson, they're they're pulling in some nice money, but lower level pros that aren't quite that top tier are not are not quite making it there. So I think it's important to have these other avenues for passive income, and that's where kind of YouTube is coming in for me. So throughout this journey of drilling, I'm also going to be looking to really explode my YouTube channel and and work more on those videos and improve the quality and content there and hopefully try to set up some more passive streams of income moving forward. Because I think that, I think the, this, this whole 
segment of pickleball related content is so untapped right now. And you're doing a great job of putting out these podcasts. If you look at some other other areas of or other in forms of entertainment for people, I used to play this game online called Rocket League. And the the top YouTubers there have almost 2 million subscribers at this point. But then you look at the number two player in the world, Tyson McGuffin, he has like 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. And that just tells me that there is this huge, huge market gap here or, or market space here that just hasn't quite been touched yet. And things like this podcast or my YouTube channel or Instagram content, you know, all of us creators supporting each other is just going to only help build that build that market for us. And so I think getting into that, that area would be kind of one of my goals as well. So maybe it doesn't have to be full time, but just having those income streams would be very beneficial looking forward. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'm kind of the same way because I, I, well, obviously I'm never, I'm never going to be a professional pickleball player, but you know, I would, I would never do anything. I would never do pickleball full time because I, I love what I do every day. So that's, that's, that's a huge thing. Well, anyways, I know that you do teach and I think after hearing this podcast and just your knowledge base and, you know, what you're planning and where you're going, you know, people are going to want to come out and get some lessons. So tell me a little bit about where people can find you since you are a instructor also. Yeah, that's great. So I work out of a company um, called Agape Tennis Academy I teach lessons uh, with them and that is located, they have a couple different locations in the Georgia uh, Atlanta metro area, but one of those is DeKalb Tennis Center. So starting June 1st on Thursdays from four to eight, I have a beginner class and an advanced class and then a two hour drill and play session where you can come and drill and play with me. And kind of my goal for that is I have this four hour time slot from four to eight. And if people show up, that's great. We'll work together. If they don't show up, that's also great. I'm still going to work by myself and, and get my own drills done. So that's one one way to connect with me. I also have an email that we can link in the show notes or something like that if, if you want to do that. And I'm also thinking about doing some like online virtual lessons or just kind of film review. You know, very cheap, just gives me a chance to see other people's games and find ways that I think would be better for me to teach my students. And also through my YouTube channel, I'm, I'm starting to put some more more effort into making a little bit more educational. So for example, I have some videos coming out from my previous tournament at the Atlanta Open uh, titled What I Did Wrong and What I Did Right. So what I did wrong, we'll explore all of the points that we lost in one particular game that I thought was very crucial to our tournament experience. And I've, I've been looking through it already and there's so many things I did wrong at the time that felt so right. And just, I think coming through that experience with me and looking through that film and it's going to help a lot of people in their own games as well. You know, that does bring up a good point. It, you know, it sounds like obviously if you're drilling or doing some some play just on a in a non-tournament situation, it's not hard to film yourself. But how did how did you film yourself during during a tournament since there's probably people fairly close on the courts near you or did you just have a friend stand outside? That's that's a great question and that's something that I'm still I'm not sure I have the best method yet. And it does. Requ- so I'll just the, the short answer is I have a GoPro. I have a GoPro Hero 9 Black, I believe is what it's called. And I have four batteries for it. And I have a little like octopus looking tripod. And I just find unique ways to hang it up and frame it around the court that allow me to see what's going on. So at this previous tournament, each of the courts were divided by a tennis net. 
And so on the edge of the tennis net, it's pretty rigid and solid. And so I was able to set up my tripod there and get a pretty good angle of the court. And then in post-production, when I go through and edit the footage, I'm able to zoom in at particular points and at least give myself a better chance of seeing what happened. My A really good friend of mine, Kenny Atwood, he has a YouTube channel as well, and he films a lot of games for people. He has some sort of mount that he puts on the top of fences, and it's just a very long mount. You can hook a tripod up to it or your iPhone or it's any type of device to record, and you link it up to the top of a fence and control it with your phone. And that's another good way to, to get some footage of yourself. But it's, I, I need to find a better solution because during the Atlanta Open, I noticed my, my GoPro started to overheat because we're playing in 90 plus degree weather in Georgia. So I need to find a way to shade that sucker so he doesn't turn off on me anymore. So yeah, so if anyone, anyone out there listening to this has a better way to record, please, please hit me up, find me and let me know. I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. All right. Well, good. Then just to finish up today, I normally ask the pros that I talk to, which pickleball paddle do they use and why? And I know you're so close to that level and you're going to be at that level. So tell me what you use. Yeah. So I actually am a Selkirk advocate for disclosure here. So I am not contractually obligated to Selkirk paddles, but I have found that I really like them. And for all my students, I give them an opportunity to try the different types of paddles provided by Selkirk. I personally use the Invicta Hybrid. It is one that has a kind of a longer paddle face and it's not so wide. The thing I like about it the most is I really like to play up at the kitchen and give myself some reach. I'm probably not as tall. I'm 5'9", I'm 5'10", five, five, somewhere in there. And so my reach at the kitchen isn't as great as some of these, these taller pros like Deckel Bar. And I, I have a grip on my paddle that has my pinky underneath it and I'm really extended. And so this paddle has a more elongated face on it that allows me to have a little bit more reach. Also better, I guess, for singles. I don't really play singles, but it allows you to hit some shots back that you probably wouldn't have a chance with a more traditional paddle as well. I use the midweight version. It feels good on my elbow. And I always use two, two overgrips as well to make sure that my hand isn't squeezing too hard whenever I play to prevent any injuries there. When I first started, I used a Rogue 2 from Players Pickleball. I thought that was a great paddle. I had it for about six months and a very similar paddle face to the one I use now. But the core, the core broke on me. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but the core broke and it just was hitting dead balls. And then I tried the Encore Engage X 6.0, I believe. Very similar paddle to, to the Selkirk Invicta Hybrid. Another kind of a longer paddle face. Also incredibly great. I liked it a lot, but yeah, finally landed on the Selkirk and I'm happy to be where I am now. And I think. All right. Well, great paddle analysis. And Shay, I so appreciate you being on the Pickleball Fire podcast today. I know I definitely want to have you back in roughly nine months. So I'll, I'll, I'll reach out then. But uh, yeah, thanks so much. Just a lot of great information. I mean, this is so full of, you know, if people want to learn more about pickleball instruction, how to get better, just really appreciate your time. Yeah, Lynn, thank you for setting this up. I mean, without people like you, then there's not going to be all these avenues for people like me to learn. So I think give yourself a pat on the back because you're 60 something episodes in now and that takes a lot of dedication. So I really appreciate you doing what you do for the sport as well. So uh, yeah, just thank you for your time and thank you for having me. All right. Appreciate it, Shay. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.